the saints of Central Vineyard. Grace and peace to you, friends. It is my privilege to speak to you on Palm Sunday, the beginning of this year's Holy Week. My sincere prayer and hope this morning is that as we open the scriptures and consider Jesus, we, like the people in Jerusalem some 2,000 years ago, would welcome the Prince of Peace into our lives once again. Today, we're continuing on in our series titled, God in the Chaos. Over the past few weeks, we've considered Jesus as the lion and the lamb. And then last week, Dan shared about Jesus, the suffering servant. All pictures of God entering into our chaos. This week, we're going to continue keeping our eyes on Jesus and consider one of his names or titles, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. I recently enjoyed a really fun moment with my seven-year-old daughter, Salah. We were reading in her kid's Bible about the moment when Jesus appears in a lock room where his disciples are hiding. Salah thought it was absolutely hilarious that one of the disciples was hiding under, under a table. That doesn't even make sense, she said. And then she decided to imagine the alternative scenarios. Imagine, what if one of the disciples was standing by a wall and Jesus walked into him? That'd be so funny, Dad. And we laughed as we acted out various scenarios of what the disciples might have been doing. I've been thinking about this moment since, and it led me to read the passage in my own Bible. And as it turns out, the disciples had locked themselves in a room for fear of the Jewish leaders who had orchestrated Jesus' crucifixion. They probably expected that they were next. Put yourselves into the disciples' shoes for a moment. For the past three years, they've been on this great mission with Jesus. They've witnessed healings, miracles, and even heard voices from heaven. But in the past week, after the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, they start to realize that Jesus is really serious about leaving them. And to their shock, he actually went through with it. He died, he followed God unto death. Understandably, they're in a state of shock and fear. The feel I feel that this story captures something of what our current moment in history feels like. I'll spare you yet another description of the last few years. We have all lived through it. We all know what it's been like. And I think it's safe to say, it's not what any of us expected. Like the disciples after Jesus' death, we are also in unknown and, and uncertain territory. And I think it's okay to be scared, afraid, anxious, and for some of us, overwhelmed by everything that has happened in the past two years. At the start of the pandemic, some of us might have been like Peter, full of bravado, but for most of us, the rooster has crowed by now. The pandemic has been a magnifying glass. It has highlighted the things that are truly in our hearts. Whatever it might be that has been brought to the surface for you, I have some good news today. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, willingly walked into the room full of the disciples' fear and chaos and greeted them, peace be with you. And he didn't just stop there. He breathes on them and empowers them with the Holy Spirit. Maybe Jesus has been in our rooms all along and more powerfully is present in us through his Spirit. Many of us have actually found ways to hold on to Jesus within this moment. It might be through a spiritual discipline like silence and solitude, where you're able to hear a still small voice. It might be through prayer. It might be 
spending time in creation, it might be through serving the poor. Whatever it might be the Spirit has been leading you to do, I want to encourage you this morning to keep going. Kia brothers and sisters. Today, we're going to find Jesus through the scriptures. In one of my favorite resurrection appearances, Jesus appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Intriguingly, he doesn't reveal himself to the men through what he looks like, but reveals himself in conversations about scripture. Isn't that fascinating? He hides his physical appearance from them so that they can see him in the scriptures. I suspect that Jesus hasn't changed, which means we're in good company diving into the scriptures this morning. Buckle in, we're going to go on an Old Testament road trip. Our key reading today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So the book of Isaiah has two strong messages that run throughout it. On the one hand, we have Isaiah prophesying judgment against the rebellion, idolatry, and the injustice of people of God, and the injustice of the people of God at the time. And at the same time, he speaks of a hope that one day God will restore, renew, and put things right as they're supposed to be. And God is going to do all this through his own son, his suffering servant. This passage is from a portion of the hope message that Isaiah prophesies. And if you've been in church even for a short while, you'll be familiar with who this passage is referring to. It is the classic Christmas passage. But because of its association with Christmas, we connect with the text in a superficial way. We make the easily identifiable link in the first sentence to Jesus' birth. For unto us a child is born. But then we stop there. The rest of the passage actually has a lot more to do with Easter than Christmas. So what's going on here? Isaiah prophesies the birth of a son who will bear the responsibility of ruling and governing. That's what it means to have the government on his shoulders. There are two helpful images to understand this language. On the one, understand the language of having something on someone's shoulder, that is. On the one, that it, on the one hand, you have the picture of a yoke on the ox's shoulder. And, and on the other, a kingly robe on the shoulders of a king. We're talking about the burden and responsibility on a king's shoulder. He will not just be any ruler though. He rules with God's wisdom, a wonderful counselor. He rules with God's strength and power, a mighty God. He rules with a never failing and unconditional love of the Father, everlasting Father. And to this end, he is called the Prince of Peace. Isaiah is not just referring to a little helpless baby Jesus, a little cute Prince of Peace. He's talking about a king who's going to rule forever in justice and righteousness, and in doing so, bring forth an everlasting kingdom of peace. This king will not just reign on any throne. 
He's to sit on David's throne. In verse 7, Isaiah is connecting this figure to an earlier promise God made to King David about David's son having an everlasting kingdom. That's why Jesus is called the son of David. And it is this very kingdom that Jesus came proclaiming. So what does it mean for us that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace? And how do we experience his peace? We all have names and most of our names mean something. We usually name our kids with the hope that our kids grow into the meaning of their name. But there is no guarantee that they actually will. We just hope and pray and do our best as parents. Unlike the names we give our kids, the names or titles of God tell us something that is already true. They're intended to enlighten us about his nature, character, or the work he has done. Here, Jesus is clearly identified as a ruler, a prince. Added to that is shalom, the Hebrew word for peace. This peace is not just an absence of war. It speaks of wholeness or completeness, not just the avoidance of hostility or division. There is shalom when things are how they are meant to be. One of the best examples we have of shalom is the Garden of Eden. God brings order out of chaos, and then when creation was completed, things were as they were supposed to be. There was wholeness as every created being had integrity in everything it did. There was shalom. However, this perfect shalom was broken by mankind's rebellion. Our willingness to join with the forces of evil and say to God, not your will, but ours. So thousands of years later, when Jesus enters into another garden and says, not my will, but yours, he is in the process of restoring the created order to its original intent. But it's not just his death that makes a way for the possibility of shalom. His resurrection and further ascension to rule with God makes him the eternal Prince of Peace. Peace is such a big concept to grasp as we engage with the world of conflict around us. Countries burdened by conflict such as Ukraine and Ethiopia can overwhelm us in the desperation of the situation. While not discounting any of this, today I want to invite you to focus on the relational peace that was broken between God and humankind. There was an intimacy in the garden between God and humanity that no longer existed after the fall. Our shalom was incomplete. God's desire to make us whole can be seen in the familiar blessing from the Old Testament. You might remember that song, The Blessing, that went viral among Christians a couple of years ago. In the middle of the pandemic, Christians from across the globe got together and sang a blessing over the world using the priestly blessing from the book of Numbers. This is a fascinating blessing because Moses and Aaron didn't write it. God tells them to speak this blessing over his people and gives them the actual words to do it. If these words are directly from God, it would pay for us to pay attention here. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The structure of this blessing is simple. Three sentences. 
The first we all understand that God wants to bless his people and protect them. That is what is meant here by the Lord keep you. The second and third sentences has a Hebrew repetition that can get lost in the English translations. But the repetition of face and countenance is a poetic device used to amplify a point. God desires to be intimate with his people once again. He wants to be face to face with his people. Imagine his face shining upon you with his holy and warm love. Imagine him turning his face toward you and looking at you just as you are. The resulting byproduct of this face-to-face -face intimacy with God is peace or shalom, a completeness to the way things were supposed to be. Us in face-to-face -face loving relationship with our Creator. God's intimacy and presence with us is the starting point to us experiencing true shalom. Don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about some esoteric goosebumps here. I'm talking about His light, His Word, His presence, His Holy Spirit that is in us reordering our inner chaos into completeness. This usually looks like hard, painful, heart-renovating work. This requires a willingness to receive His Word, yield to His Spirit, and like Jesus say, not my will but yours. But the good news, friends, is that the Prince of Peace has made it possible. Isaiah records for us in chapter 53, He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him, and by His wounds we are healed. The Prince of Peace has made it possible for us to experience healing, wholeness, and completeness, and true shalom. Returning to the Holy Week that we're in, I've been touched by Jesus' care and concern for his disciples. He washes their feet, he prays for them, he encourages and comforts them, and makes them this remarkable promise. All this I have spoken while, while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John 14. Jesus, after comforting his disciples, promises them the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's intimate presence within us the agents through which we experience the shalom of God. He brings us Jesus' wonderful counsel. He empowers us with God's strength. He fills our hearts with the love of the everlasting Father. All this and so much more is possible because of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Friends, the temptation right now is to look upon the chaos of the world and to get caught up with it, to let it overwhelm us. We need to remind ourselves that the burden and responsibility of ruling and making things right belongs to the Prince of Peace. I'm not saying we should disconnect from the moment we're living in, but let's not miss the work of Shalom that the Spirit is doing in each one of us today. Let's not let our hearts be troubled. Let's put our trust fully in Jesus, the Prince of Peace, 
and continue to engage with the chaos of the world from a place of peace with God. What a week to consider all this, the week leading up to Easter. The staff here at CV have been working on some spaces for you to continue, consider, continue considering God's redemptive story this week. Starting tomorrow, there's a special Stations of the Cross and prayer installation in the 24-7 prayer room. There will also be a contemplative gathering on Maundy Thursday um, at the community hall. And of course, our first gathering back at Epsom Girls Grammar next Sunday on Resurrection Sunday. You can register for the events or book your slot for the prayer room on the CV website. Friends, I want to leave you with the same blessing God asked Moses and Aaron to bless his people. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace.